0: Uh, Today, if you've been to more than three weddings, you probably know this scripture. Uh, I wanted us to read it differently today in the message uh, by Eugene Peterson uh, so that maybe uh, it would begin to get a hold of us and lead us into the way that is love itself, God himself. Let's share in God's good word together. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end, love never dies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I love the way that starts. Love never gives up. That's the promise of God in the Bible. Love never gives up. Say that with me. Love never gives up. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. And I know if you've been married for more than about 10 days, there have been days you're ready to give up. So let me help you out here. When you think of something good about your spouse, say it. When you think something good about your spouse, say it out loud. They need to hear it. They need to be loved. We all need to be loved. Amen? We all need to be loved. So when you think about something good about your spouse or your person, say it, write it down, text it to them, whatever it takes. Why? Because healthy couples protect the priority of the relationship above everything else. Above everything else. Healthy couples protect the priority of the marriage above kids, above jobs, above extended family requests, above every distraction that comes at us these days. Healthy couples protect the priority of their first relationship under God. Think back. If you've been married uh, like Chantel and I have for 28 years or longer, you, you have to think way back and think about what you used to be willing to do to just be with your person, to just be in their presence. Remember how you would drive through the night just to see them for an hour. Recapture the passion of spending most of your money on them and then eating leftovers all week long just to pay the phone bill. Or to pay for the flowers or the ring. Think about the price that you were willing at one time to pay. To impress the person you love. Or love still. It is important. It's important to them. It's important to you. It's important to God. It's important to the world. How you love your spouse is the way you are loving God. We let that sink in. The way you love your spouse is the way you love God. It is your witness to the world. How you love your spouse is a witness to the world about your faithfulness to God. So the scriptures tell us love never gives up. Love never gives up. Love never gives up on you. Never gives up on you. My name is Mark Foster. I'm founding senior pastor here at Acts 2. And I want to invite you today to declare that you will be the best person for your person. It's a challenge. Whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're married or divorced or widowed, uh, dating again, you are important. You're important to God. You're important to us. And your love is important. So let's get started so that we can read it with me. Be the best person for your person. Whatever that, whatever that looks like for you, whatever station of life you find yourself. So we are wrapping up this series on uh, the relationship challenge. I'm so grateful for Pastor John. Um, he has the weekend off. This is the first Sunday he's had off in a year. God bless him. And so he's with his family. And so uh, just pray for him that he is rest and renewed this weekend. And he reminded us at week one that here, singleness should never be synonymous with loneliness. Amen? Never. If you're single, you're important to God. You're important to us. You're valued. You matter. And so if you come to church here, you ought to absolutely be a part of a family where you know when you walk in, we love you. And you're welcome. Of no less or greater value than anybody else. If you're single, you come in and you are a part of the family. Never lonely. Never lonely. And I'm so grateful for Brandon as he uh, helped remind me of what it's like to be married in the early years with little ones. And he reminded me that humility is the key to loving well. That's exactly right. We look at Jesus' own life and he washes feet on the last night of his life. Humility in action. And then last week I I tried to convey that so often one of the things that wrecks our marriages is that we expect too much from the person that we're about to get married to um, or that we are married to. Uh, we buy into that terrible lie from Jerry Maguire that somehow somebody else is going to complete you. No, they don't. That's just dumb. Your person doesn't complete you. They cannot save you. They are not Jesus. There's one Savior, amen? And it's not you. And it's not your spouse. It's not your kid that makes straight A's. It's not your job. And this is the thing. And so last week I asked our folks, look, just ask one less thing of your person. Let them off the hook. Most of us are trying to carry way too much, way too much in the relationship. So this week I want I want to leave us with a question. And that's this Am I the kind of person who can keep my promises to my person? Why don't you think about that? Are you the kind of person that keeps your word? Keeps your promises. When you say, I'm going to be home at such and such a time, are you? When you say, I'm going to pay that bill on time without interest, do you? When you say, you can count on me, can they count on you? The people in your life. When your neighbor says, Watch my dog, feed my dog, do you feed them every day or just when you remember? You see, I have um, come to believe that rarely, if ever, I mean, I've been in pastoral ministry now uh, almost three decades. And as I have thought back over the entirety of my ministry, rarely, if ever, I cannot think of a time that I have met two emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy people who wanted to remain married who did not remain married. Let me think about that. In my, in my entire time, I've never met two people who were both healthy, both wanted to be in the marriage, that ended up in divorce. I've just never seen it. I suppose it's possible out there. I've just never seen it. What I have seen often, though, is that um, people give up on the marriage. Somebody begins to struggle with a health issue or a gambling issue or an alcohol issue. Uh, or a fantasy life issue, or an online issue, uh, a spending issue, a debt issue. And the other person's like, well, you know, I don't want to be with them anymore. They, they don't get healthy. They don't help them get healthy. They don't help them keep their promises. And so what happens is the marriage ends. So what I've found, and, and, and I, I want to kind of debunk the myth that Um, it takes two to make your marriage better. It doesn't. You can make your marriage better. If you get better, your marriage is going to get better. Now, it may not stay together, right? There may be enough unhealth around the marriage that you can't keep it together, and that happens. That happens, and and sometimes folks need to start over again. Sometimes people hurt each other more together than they do apart, and I've seen that. You've seen that. But here's what I've come to believe. The number one thing you can do for the health of your marriage is to become healthy yourself. No kidding. No kidding. You feel better about yourself, you feel better about your weight, you feel better about your job, you feel better about your decisions, you feel better about your ability to keep your promises. The relationships around you get what? Better. They just do. And as you get worse, if you go into depression and and, and you struggle and, and you don't recognize your struggle, then it's harder on everybody. Each week when I prepare for the messages, I I scour the internet for other messages and people who have preached on these topics, and I came across a young pastor, um, and he said something I'd never heard before, and I was so good, I'm stealing it directly. His name's Matt Tuggle down at Highland Park United Methodist Church, which was uh, the church that Chantel and I worked at when we were in Dallas, and he says, I'd never heard this, but he's exactly right. He says, if you're not dealing with your stuff, you're the only person around not dealing with your stuff. That is absolutely true. Friends, if you're not on top of your anger issue, your kids are dealing with your anger. If you're not on top of your pride, your spouse is having to deal with your pride. If you can't get on top of your prejudice, your neighbors are having to deal with your prejudice. If you can't deal with your compulsion or your inability to set a boundary, you better believe that your coworkers are having to deal with your nonsense. If you're not dealing with your stuff, you're the only person not dealing with your stuff. Isn't that true? It's hard, but it is true. So I want you to consider three questions that if you're married in a traditional church setting, uh, that will come before you. I had the great pleasure uh, of marrying these two not too long ago, uh, Douglas and Janie, um, and and we got married right here. And um, what what normally happens in a a marriage is that um, they... The, the groom comes out, stands over here, uh, and the bride and a representative of the family comes down the center aisle. And I, I come down here and I meet them down here. And, and we have this moment um, that I love and that I hope you'll consider well before you get to this moment. There are three questions that I ask the families and the people before we go up into the Holy of Holies so that we don't make a mockery before God of what we're doing. It's called the Declaration of Intention. Like, do you intend to keep your promise to your person? And so I look at the man and I look at the woman and I look at sometimes the father of the bride in the middle who's very uncomfortable and awkward, um, but the other two seem pretty happy. And question number one is this. I, I looked at Douglas uh, and I looked at Janie and I said, Douglas, will you have Janie to be your wife, to live together in holy marriage? Holy marriage. Now, you might say, well, well what does that mean? have a holy marriage where a holy marriage holy means sacred it means set apart and so if if you look at these uh you know these these chalices these little cups up here um what we find is these are set apart they're sacred uh this won't surprise you um but on wednesday lunch i don't put coke in here and throw it back with my burger right it's holy it's sacred it's set apart we use this for communion I, i don't i don't use it for other things And the thing about a holy marriage is that it's sacred, it's set apart, it's different than any other relationship you have. And before you dare to come before God and say, yes, I'm going to do all these things, you have to decide first, is this going to be my person for life? Is this going to be a sacred, set apart, different kind of relationship than I have with others? With different expectations, different commitments, deeper commitments. And then I would look at Janie or Douglas and I would say, will you love her, love him, comfort, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't see honor very well. And if you've been married more than a month uh, or you're, you've been married this February and January with the flu going around, you know sickness and in health is a beating. It is no fun When the husband gets the flu, we revert to three-year-olds. I mean, we're not good sick people. And I just wonder, you know, if you're the kind of person that rolls your eyes at your husband, your marriage is in trouble. It is. It's contempt, and and you're on your way out. This thing about honor is a real deal. If you can't honor the person before you get married, you won't honor them after the marriage you have to be really sober about these questions that we're asking down here before we go up there under the cross of Jesus. And then we ask perhaps the most difficult question, will you be faithful to him and to her as long as you both shall live? Will you be faithful to them? Forsaking all others. When you say yes down here to forsaking all others, what that means is they are your number one priority under God. And it doesn't matter what your boss asks of you, what your kids ask of you, what your parents ask of you, what anybody else in all the world asks of you, you're faithful to them first. And if you can't say that down here, don't pretend that you can do that up there or at home or around. That's what this means, that you're going to be faithful to them first under God before any other relationship. And isn't it true that really our relationships begin to tear and to break when we don't honor them first, we honor them second or third because we've got this business trip, you don't understand what it would cost me? I, I find it honestly ridiculous and painful how many people I've watched their marriages start to tear because they placed either one of their jobs and vocations over the relationship. And I love this church, Chantel and I founded this church, but make no mistake, if there's ever a day I've got to choose between y'all and her, I'm picking her. Because you're not going to the beach with me. She is. Like, we're, we're out. Right? I mean, that's how it needs to be. If you're going to say yes to your person, they have to be first in all things under God. And you might say, well, you know, you don't understand. It would be really hard for me to find a new job. Okay, find a new job. Find a new home. Find a new whatever you need to find. But the relationship has to be first if you expect it to work. Because I don't know about you, but I found it to be really, really rare that when I go to a hospital visit... And somebody's on their deathbed. It's not their supervisor that's there. Is it? It's not their manager. It's not their boss. It's their spouse. Or their kids. You got to be there for your person. And so Jesus says it like this. He says, I give you a new commandment to all my people. That you love one another. Sorry about that. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. Now, now, you'll notice we've moved up here now and we're under the cross. So when Jesus says, just as I have loved you, what does that mean? It's all the way. It's your very life. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Say it with me. If. If you have love for one another. I mean, we don't even want to state it negatively, do we? That if you don't love the other folks in the body, then you're not loving Jesus. Now, you may not have ever stopped and reflected on this, and you may want to reconsider your membership after this sermon. But what this means is that if you are a member here, you are to be willing to give your life for the other members here. That's what that means. That we are to love one another so deeply that we will sacrifice for one another, we will hurt for one another, we will give our very lives for one another. And that, friends, is a witness that not even the gates of hell could come against. If we were to pull this off and actually love one another so deeply that we would sacrifice radically for one another, we could not keep the people out of our church. Because they saw how we loved one another, how we blessed one another, how we cared for one another, how we fed one another, how we helped people with medical bills for one another that have gotten out of hand. Amen. Does this make sense? We are to love one another as Christ loved us, which was his entire life. So Jesus says, love one another, read it with me, just as I have loved you. It's our witness. It's our witness to the world. One of the greatest compliments I've ever received in my life was from a checker at Walmart. And she, we were at Bible school a number of years ago, and we were picking up some things for the kids, Chantelle and I. And she said, do you go to Acts 2? And I always get real nervous at that moment. I'm like, maybe. And uh, she goes, well, I just want you to know that every time I see one of those people in one of those Acts 2 shirts, I just love them. They're the best people. I said, yeah, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> right? It's about how we love one another. And so in case we were somehow to miss it from Christ our Savior, we, we have to ask ourselves this question, well, how important is love? Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in the NRSV, Paul's writing to uh, the church in Corinth, and they were, they were confused about what love is and what love is not. And so Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but I don't have, what, love? I'm just a noisy, or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, even to where I could remove mountains, as Jesus said, but do not have, what, right? I'm, I'm, what? Well, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have what, friends? I gain nothing. That, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Paul is setting this up. Because there were people then and people still today that think following the law is more important than love. And both Jesus and Paul say that's not true. That the law leads to death, to sin, and then to death. And love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. It is love that never gives up, and it is love that never dies. That's what we have to be about. So, what does this love look like? Well, you might know this part love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it is that truth that will set you free. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Read it with me. Love never ends. Think about that. Your work, it'll end. But your love, eternal. When you love someone well, it goes out in all of eternity, and remains. The only thing you do that remains is love, because God is love and God is eternal. So think wisely about how you are to live. Because love is patient and kind. We put it in green so you know this is the good stuff. Love is patient and kind. So, fellas, let me ask you, how's your patience? When you're sitting in the car... And you're ready to go and your person isn't in the car with you. How you doing? Well, we could spend a couple of weeks here, I'm probably. But there are two things that come to mind. One is my hunch is that you're more concerned about what somebody else thinks of you than what your spouse thinks of you. Isn't that true? That you're more worried about what a boss or a neighbor or a friend or a dinner date or whatever it is thinks about your lateness than you do about your spouse. And maybe it's reversed. Maybe it's the guy that's habitually late. And, and, and in that case, um, you got to think about it. Is, is, this, is this about honoring one another? Is the person being late, are they honoring the other person? Do you honor your person by being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there so that you don't embarrass them? because you honor them and you love them you keep them. Some of this is just about a lack of boundary. Right? That you haven't set up boundaries. Most people in our church have more than one car. Don't don't we? And we say dear I love you or husband I love you. I just want you to know that I'm leaving for church early. We go to the 9:15 service. I'm leaving at 8:45. I hope you're in the car with me. We have two cars. I would love it if you would ride with me. But if you choose not to, that's okay. I just want you to know that I'm leaving at 845. And then if you do and you hold your boundary, don't be upset with each other. Does it make sense? I've told you what I'm doing. I'm about to do it. I'm not loving you less. But we, I wonder in our patience and our kindness with one another, if so often this doesn't go sideways on us because we're not putting the other person first. We're putting something else first. And in case we missed it, Paul lays it out. He says, well, love is not, and red, envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'm any more comfortable in my entire life than when I listen to one spouse be rude to the other spouse in front of me. And then they look at me like, ha ha, that's funny, right, pastor? I'm like, I want to leave. Like, I want to get out of here. Hasn't that happened to you? You're, you're at dinner with somebody or you go out and, and, and they're just rude to one another. I'm like, I think this will be our one and only time together. It just weirds me out because, I mean, I know that it's in trouble. Love is not rude. It's not rude. Not to your waiter or waitress or spouse or kids. It's not irritable or resentful. I love the way John Ortberg puts it. He says, if you really want to know about how your walk with Christ is going with Jesus, you really only have to ask yourself one question. And that is, am I growing more or less irritable these days? Man, that's a good question. Because love is not irritable. See, what love does is love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love is not envious. It doesn't insist on its own way, right? It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It just doesn't. It just, it just doesn't. Now, here's the thing. This is a pretty big list. And if you're like me, you might look at that list and be like, there's no way. Like, I know myself well enough, like, there's, there's no way. Well, here's the great news. Paul was not writing about his next-door neighbor. He was writing about God. This is the way God loves you. This is the way Jesus loves you. So this is great news, friends. Because God is a God who keeps God's promises to his people, you can be the person who keeps your promises to your people. If you invite Christ to come live in you, this is great news. Then you can do this stuff. You can say yes to the things that God wants you to say yes to. That would bless yourself and others and your family and the world, and to say no to things that would harm you or others and curse the world. And you're like, yeah, but that still seems like a lot. And again, at nearly 30 years of doing this, I found that what most of us need is a nap. It's really amazing. We're just tired. We run too hard, we push too much, and we get ourselves in trouble because we try to do things that are beyond our limits and capabilities. It's not new to us. It's worse for us in our digital age, but it's not new. Jesus said to those who would follow him, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves. And read this last part with me. Rest a while. Rest a while. Isn't that lovely? Just come away and rest a while, Jesus says. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Any of y'all eat some 7-Eleven food this week, this week, taking your kids back and forth places? You, you don't even have time to eat. Right? You're going through the drive through Am I the only person who went through a drive through this week? Right? I mean, that's, this is true across time. They didn't even have time to eat. They had to pick up a roller from 7-Eleven, which I love. It's not good for you. But this this is where they found themselves. And Jesus says, come away and what? Rest a while. When's the last time that you and your person exclusively took two, three days away? You checked your phones and you just let yourself be together. Reminded of why you chose each other in the first place. To just rest. And if you're single, when's the last time you just spent a few hours just with no agenda, no phone, no word, no nothing, just hanging out before the Lord, just resting in His goodness? It'll change your life. Rest a while, Jesus says. And it's a different sermon, but He also says, that's at least every seven days, friends. And you might say, well, what's a while? Well... When's the last time you woke up on your own without an alarm clock, a dog, a child, or someone waking you up? Well, like they say in the Wolf Brand Chili commercial, that's too long, right? You'll know that you're rested when you just go to sleep and you wake up when you wake up. That's rested. Rest a while, Jesus says. So we're to our action steps, um, and I would uh, share these with you. I've shared them before, but I, they're worth repeating. When it comes to our relationships, whatever relationships they are, Dallas Willard taught me this back in '09, and it has transformed my life. He says, when it comes to yourself, don't pretend. If your feelings are hurt, say your feelings are hurt. If you're happy, be happy. If you're hungry, get something to eat. If you're tired, take a nap. Don't pretend. Don't pretend that you're doing better than you are or worse than you are. Don't pretend. Can I get an amen on that? You are uniquely, beautifully, wonderfully made. Be who you are. It's okay. Absolutely okay. Now, when it comes to others, to people that we love, to people we work with, people around, we don't presume. We don't presume how they're doing, we don't presume we know what they're thinking. We don't try to read their mind. We don't presume that they're doing okay if they're not. We don't presume that they're not doing okay if they are. We don't, we don't guess. We ask a lot of questions. So when it comes to ourselves, we don't pretend. And when it comes to others, we don't presume. And in all these things, we sure don't push. Now, at this point, I know that I'm really struggling up against uh, American Western culture and, and really uh, industrialized culture. Um, but I would also submit to you that if you look at mental health rates and suicide rates in our country, we're not doing this right. We need to rest. We need to scale back and, and we, we just need to not push. We need to not push ourselves. Um, and you know this. You know when you're pushing yourself. When you know if you, if you do this to this, you're going to be sick tomorrow. Don't you know that? You, you just know that. You do this, you're going to be sick. You don't do it, you won't be sick. Friends, you ought not push yourself to sickness. That's dumb. Really. Because you, you got I mean, you're, your body and your health is the only thing you've got. Right? You just get one of those. So don't push. And don't push others. You're, you're not doing your kids a favor by pushing them. I know that's scandalous in our culture. But... Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it'll change, but uh, in 20 years of being the pastor of this church, we still have zero kids either in the NFL or NBA or in FIFA. I know it's a shocker. They all think they're going. Imagine how good your life might be if you didn't have to be at the gym or the soccer field every day of your life. Right? You just had fun with your kids, you played with them, went on a bike ride, had some fun. Don't push. And here's the thing. We never, and I mean never, fulfill our promises alone. We just don't. We just don't. If you want to be really brave, um, ask some people that, you, that know you well, what can I work on to be the best spouse possible? Now, when we do this kind of work, Chantel and I try to not ever ask you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves or haven't done. So yesterday, she called her best friend, and I called my sister. Then we asked the question, And you will never know what they told us. (laughs) But we did it. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So, And then, if you're really, really salty, I mean, if you really just want to spice it on up, make a list of all the reasons that it would be difficult to be married to yourself. I mean, mean, it's going to take some time. I mean, be honest. You know yourself pretty well. And then when you're done with it, look at that list and be like, thank God they still are married to me. I mean, right? I mean, we're, we, I love you people, but we're all kind of nut jobs. I mean, we all have weirdness in our life that, like, she puts up with that every day. It's amazing. And, and, I, and I say that um, to say this, uh, not to depress you, but to give you hope. In uh, 1987, Chantel was a freshman. I was a sophomore at Oklahoma State. And um, I was at Farmhouse Fraternity, she was a Delta Zeta, and we did this thing called Freshman Follies. And, and since I was the director, I got to choose who was going to be in the show. And so we went over to Delta Zeta House, and um, Chris Wright, who uh, was the best man at our wedding, um, he and I were picking out the girls who, was, who we were going to let in the show. And Chantel came in from her aerobics class, in her little workout outfit. And uh, she bopped in there, and um, I looked at Chris... And I said, She's in the show. <laughs> and he looked at me wide eyed and said, She hasn't even tried out yet. And I said, I don't care. She is in the show. He's like, We don't know if she can sing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how to look at her. She's in the show. He's like, okay. Now you might can tell from that story alone that I was not the kind of guy that could carry out my promises very well certainly not a holy promise for life. I mean, I just, I don't look at this for a second. I mean, do, do any of you all think that um, this guy down here uh, should be getting married? <laughs> I mean, I don't, no. No, that's Chris right there, but that's me. We didn't lie to him. So here's the thing. I, I couldn't always even get myself to class. I couldn't make a promise to, to, to do that, much less be there for another person for the rest of my life. But here's the good news. So we, so we didn't date. I mean, we didn't date for uh, about three years, three, four years. But while we're waiting, God is working, right? God's working this whole time. And by 1991, we were sending out this wedding announcement. Chantelle found it. She knew right where it was. And, and I read this. I mean, this is, this is remarkable to me that a 23 year old and a 22 year old would write this. Desiring God's will for their lives and believing that includes each other, Chantelle and Mark, together with their parents, invite you to share the joy as they are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was a broadcast journalism major and she was graduating, and we, ministry was nowhere in our purview, but God was working. Amen? I mean, God was working, bringing us together, bringing our hearts together, uniting us in Christ. And 28 and a half years later, it's not too bad. We enjoy each other. And so, I want you to know that wherever you are, if you're single, if you're dating, if you're married, if you're divorced, God is still working. And God is ready to work a miracle in your life. In His love. That we would love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you do love us with an unending love, a love that never dies, a love that never gives up. And we pray that you would make us people of your promise. And by your promise, you would make us people who keep our promises to you, to those we love, to those in our church family, and to our enemies, to those that would persecute us.